Bite of Courage is about you and me. It's about ordinary people aspiring to live their best, most authentic life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. Bite of Courage is about hope, about connecting with others, about choosing love over fear and having the courage to be who we're truly meant to be. Bite of Courage is about us. My guest today is Marzi. Is it Gazampur? Yes. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> I was oh. close enough. How would you pronounce it? Gazampur. Uh, but that's totally fine because I think I mispronounce everyone's name. So like. <laughs> so I've Americanized it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marzi, it's nice to have you here today. You're a playwriting student at Boston. Is that right? Yeah, Boston University. I'd love to tell everybody about how we met. It was a very random meeting. A friend had called me up to go see the play Hamilton in Chicago on Broadway. And she called me at the last minute. And by total random circumstance, I was sitting next to you that night. And then you told me that you had flown in from Boston. Yeah. You were supposed to come with a friend. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Uh, she lives in Atlanta, but she just ditched me. <laughs> How could she ditch you? How could she? I mean, I could maybe see ditching a friend, but to ditch Hamilton? I know. <laughs> yeah, Did I you... remember the first thing I told you. Like, I was like, please just don't judge me if I cried the whole time. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> right. And meanwhile, we both cried the whole time. Was yes. that, wasn't that, I mean, I'm still sort of like flying high from that show. That was really the most incredible experience I've ever had, like seeing a live show or musical or anything. Yeah, me too. Exactly. Like that was, that was an amazing experience in the theater. Like I encourage everyone to go see, like not as if like Hamilton needs anything from me, you right. know, like anything that I can say to just like, you know, to encourage you to go see that. But that was an amazing, amazing show. It's <laughs> that just, is an amazing show. It's just incredible. I had seen an interview with Manuel Miranda and he said, you know, cause somebody said, well, I'm not so sure I'd like to see the show cause I'm not really into rap. And one of the things I heard him say on the interview, um, <laughs> cause I'm not, I, I've never been into rap, but I appreciate every different genre. But one of the things I found so fascinating mm -hmm. in this interview that he did, he said that the reason he chose that genre is because musically rap can put in one measure more words than any other kind of musical genre. And Hamilton spoke in long run on sentences and paragraphs. And when he said that, I was like, after seeing it, I was like, wow, that really, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think the content of the musical, like, because the, the musical is about like two hours and something. I don't remember exactly how many minutes it is, but the content is for like a show for like at least six hours. Yeah. And, um, that is why it is. Yeah. That is exactly the same thing as you said, because it covers a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. And then at the end, the uh, the Cubs said, I don't know if you follow baseball at all, but the Cubs, of course, I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> and when they got up at the end, here's this, you know, professional Broadway cast and they come out 
and sing the Cubs song and are waving the flags and stuff. I mean, we were, we were just on our feet. We were hugging each other. Everybody was screaming. That was amazing. Yeah. That was like, incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a really, really great night. Oh my God. I miss it now. <laughs> yeah. Did, had you been to Chicago before? No, that was my first time. So, uh, I just went to Chicago to see uh, Hamilton, but I think I was really lucky because that was the best day of Chicago for the last 108 years. So, like, I'm going to tell that to everyone. I, yeah. I visited Chicago in its best day for, like, more than a century. And did you did you have a chance to enjoy the city, Marzi, when you were after the show and everything? Did you stay overnight or did you have to fly out? Well, yeah, because I wanted to see this painting. You see, uh, the musical Sunday in Barbara George. Uh -huh. So the painting that the musical is based on is in Chicago. So I wanted yeah. to see that, but I was pretty naive because like I woke, I was like, I'm going to go to the museum today. Well, you went over to the Art Institute? Get, yes. Aww. Of course, I didn't get to the museum till like, I think 4 p.m. because of the parade. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, I got to see a lot of interesting art in the museum too. And then I flew back. That's wonderful. Well, you'll have to come back to Chicago and visit. Go down to Navy Pier and see the lakefront. It's really beautiful, especially in the summertime. So one of the things that I found so fascinating about you, and again, the reason I wanted to interview you today is, you know, we met just for a few minutes before the show began. And then at intermission, we probably talked the entire time. And I feel like uh, we covered more ground in 15 of minutes of an intermission at a play than I do with some people like at a party because it was such a real, it was such a real, you know, most people that say, oh, hi, how are you? What do you do? And that's the end of it. But we got into some really deep conversation. I know that you said that you're from Iran and that you're Muslim and that yes. you're a, a, a playwriting student at Boston. And Given that this was just a few days before our election, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you now about that because, you know, now that Donald Trump is president here and there's this, all this with the travel ban and everything going on, mm -hmm. I felt like, I mean, now it's a whole different story, I'm sure. But one of the things that struck me about you is that I felt like it was really brave of you to say. And so please forgive me. I don't may not even know some of the questions to anticipate asking you, but I don't have any Muslim friends. I don't know anybody from Iran. And I thought you were just this beautiful, wonderful woman that I met. I could totally be friends with you because we had a really heart to heart conversation. And so I just wondered, can you tell our listeners today like, what it's like coming, what your experience is like, why you picked Boston, what it's like to be a Muslim woman here, and if you've experienced culture shock, if there's been backlash, especially now that, that Trump is president here, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Well, I lived in New Mexico before I came to Boston for three years, and I was a student at New Mexico State University, and honestly, I didn't really feel any backlash when I was in New Mexico, like, good old days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's where you got your MF, that's where you got your MF, that's where you got your MFA, right? In fiction writing, I think you said? Yes, yes, yeah. that's correct. Yes. I have amazing friends that I met in New Mexico, like my professors in New Mexico were really supportive of me and even after the uh, executive uh, ex uh, yeah executive order 
a lot of people contact with me about that, and it's really nice to know that there are people who support you and who don't really agree with these decisions, and that has been really amazing. But about me、uh, telling that I'm a Muslim, well, that's just something that I am, and like. If people ask me that, of course I tell them because what else would I tell them? And I had never been scared of telling the truth, and I had never even thought about just saying anything else because it's kind of like asking, "What is your hair color? Black?" This is just like the truth of it, right? But I can't say that I haven't thought about it, just like maybe not really telling people when they ask me. But that, but I don't think I can ever do that. Yeah. Like no matter what, this is just like like your hair color. It's who you are. Sorry for. Yeah, like it's yeah. not something to be sorry for or even be proud about because it's just like what it is, and、um, I had no choice in it. And this is just like everyone is born somewhere in some community, some religion, and so that's. I think that's just as simple as that for me. And、um, since America is. The country of immigrants, and since we have the constitution that allows us freedom of speech and allows us freedom of religion, I just don't see why someone should be scared of you know just telling about their identity, talking、mm-hmm. about their identity. But the problem is that right now, it, it even even with my mindset, it occurred to me that maybe I shouldn't tell people that I'm Muslim. And I think it's really, really problematic, and it's really just in contrast to what this country stands for and what the founding father fathers wanted this country to be. And it's just crazy. Have you have you <laughs> experienced <laughs> have have you experienced Marzi any、um, backlash now after he's been president? I said I know that you said like in New Mexico. So, yeah, like、um, well. I'm gonna tell you something about Chicago that was really interesting. So, I I saw Hamilton and I met you and it was amazing. Like the whole experience was amazing. And I was on the、uh, I was working on the clouds and then the next day was the parade and I wanted to go to the museum. Right, millions of people on the streets and they were really happy. And of course, then everyone is happy. You are happy too, right? So I was in this like really good mood and I was on the streets in Chicago and I wanted to get some food. And they kicked me out. It was a pizza place. It was a it was an Italian restaurant. I took a picture. I I I have the name. I just don't remember the name now. So you see, there were so many people there, and then people were standing in lines to get into the restaurant because you know everyone was. It was like 2 p.m. Everyone was hungry, and I was standing in line for like 25 minutes, half an hour, and talking to people in the line. Because everyone was so happy, all of them were wearing jerseys and stuff.、Mm-hmm. And then when it was my turn,、uh, they asked me where do you want to sit, and I said I can sit at the bar because it's only me. I was just trying to be nice to them, seeing that they do not have enough tables. And then the guy、uh, kept asking me that what are you saying? Speak English. I don't understand what you're saying. And I just said that it's only me. Can I sit at the bar? I just kept repeating it, and then he kept laughing at me, saying that he doesn't understand me. And then I said, "Do you want me to write it down for you?" And I meant it. You know, I was like, "So maybe that would work." And then he got <laughs> like he he heard that one. He heard that sentence, and then he kicked me out. And he said that you rude, get out. And and I was real. That was a really、uh. weird moment. Like that was a moment that I thought would never happen to me. And then like. I was so shocked, and and then he yelled at me, "Go back where you came from," which is such a cliche. 
that you yeah. just think would never ever happen to anyone. You think this is something you just see in the movies or something. But then that happened. I was so shocked, and and it was really interesting to me because, as I said, I was in the line with a lot of other people for like about half an hour talking to them,、mm. and when that person treated me like that, no one said a word. All the people, Marzi, that you had been talking to, very friendly conversation. You felt isolated then in that moment because you had been called out by somebody and were being basically yeah, I, humiliated. I, I, I felt very embarrassed. I felt because he kept saying that I was rude. I I couldn't see how I was rude. I was just I was telling them that I can't just me. I can just sit anywhere. And he was yeah. I was being embarrassed in front of all those people that I've、oh. been talking to. And also I felt like this rage that no one. Said anything to the guy, and no one protested. And then they were like, "Okay, so," and he moved to the people in the line behind me, and then they gave him their orders. And and then oh I, my gosh, that had never happened to me before in New Mexico or in like any other cities I've been to in Boston or like I've been to LA, Boston, DC,、uh, worlds like、um, San Francisco. I've been to a lot of big cities in the US. Like nothing like that had ever happened to me. But I think one of the reasons that that happened was because of the whole the whole spirit of the day. It was right before the election, and then the cops had won, and there was this, this like I don't know, like this sense of I don't know macho sense. I don't know that I don't think that person, the same person, would do the would、uh, would behave like that in another day. But may, maybe now they would. But like I couldn't imagine the same person just behaving like that a year before that. It goes to that point of、um, how divisive the country is right now, and how divided—I guess—is、uh, the right way to say that. How divided we all are, and how everybody is sort of on edge. I feel like, especially as a parent, you know, I feel like there's sort of this dark cloud looming over everybody. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, all the stuff that's going even on right now with the, you know, national security advisor and so.、Uh, It's really alarming, and so how do it's we? Like, it's like wishing that one day you wake up and like the news isn't worse. So bad news that you thought is not gonna be like worse than yeah. Like, then last night when I fell asleep,、day. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that the Nordstrom thing would be like the worst thing that a president can do. But then, like, we have the General Flynn thing, and everyone forgets about that, and forgets about like. So many other things that would be just such a big deal for any other administration before this. Yeah. But、uh, yeah, it, it is really, really, really hard. Like I already had, I already have anxiety disorder, but right now it's just like much worse. It's really to focus, to concentrate, to work, to try to be your best self because you're distracted all the time. I'm glad to know that that was more the exception than the rule. Being here, how long have you been in the United States?、Uh, I came here late July 2013. Oh, so you've been here a few years. Yeah, and that's、uh, three years. If I remember correctly, you have one sister who's in India. Yes, she's getting. Is she getting、yes. her doctorate or her PhD or something in the classics?、Maybe? Yeah. Yes, in comparative literature. Comparative literature, and then、mm-hmm. you don't have any other sisters or any brothers. No. And then your parents are still back in Iran. Yes. How did you pick the United States, and like, how did your sister end up in India, and do you guys get to see each other? How do you stay connected, especially if you're not on Skype? <laughs> yeah, 
Now that I insult Skype, I saw that she's on Skype. <laughs> well, I think the last time I saw her was three years ago when wow. we both went back home. She got a scholarship from Indian Embassy in Iran. Uh, she went there for undergrad, so she has been there for like she, I think five years now. So she started with her undergrad, and then she got her master's degree, and now I think this is her second semester as a PhD candidate, and um. Why I applied, I wanted to write, and there is no creative writing major in Iran, and even if it was, the problem is that, like, it's not really easy to be a writer or, like, any kind of artist in Iran. Because you don't have freedom of speech? Exactly. And that is really scary. I think the best thing about America is freedom of speech and freedom of press because, like, we do have a lot of journalists in, in prisons in Iran. And it's really, like, even now I'm saying this, it's a little bit worrisome for me because it feels like, well, if I can't stay, you have to go back. So th- this is another thing worrying me. So I came here to kind of skip from censorship. But then, and I, and I felt good about it, and then I, I felt that I can just write whatever I want, but after the executive order and after everything that is happening to me, I don't feel as safe, because I feel that what if, because it can totally happen, what if I get deported, and then am I going to be safe home, you know? Like, should I be careful about what I write here, what I say here, or stuff like that? So that is one of my new worries. I have to imagine that the fact that we do have freedom of speech is something that so many of us here obviously take for granted. I I, I, I think uh, maybe less so now than ever before do we take it for granted. But I have to imagine that, uh, and being an artist myself, I think about that as I write. Like, the only thing that keeps me from writing what's truly in my heart is the fear that I have about sharing who I am with other people, to dig in deep and find the courage to do that. But what I don't have to worry about is that extra layer, as you just described, Marzi, of like coming from a country like Iran where journalists and creative people can be imprisoned for their thoughts and putting their thoughts out there. And now you're living here and because of this, this travel ban and everything that's happening, it's, it's gotta be really scary because yeah, what if you write something, then are you being profiled as a Muslim? You know, because is it against America? You know, is it anti-American? Whereas, you know, that's not the intention. But I would imagine that would be a huge fear, and I can see why that came up. So how are you dealing with that in your creative process as a student? There are so many things to worry about. First of all, writing as a minority, even just not even thinking about the political impacts that writing might have on you is a really, really hard thing because I think I need to be much more careful what I write because I'm going to have an audience that I'm going to be their ethos and what they read from me would be maybe the only thing that they might read about that area, you know, like, and that's a lot of responsibility. I know that I can just write really interesting things with the setting in Tehran and uh, like with really interesting characters, but the problem is that there aren't enough works like that. And so, like, if you see a Muslim character who lives in Iran or a Muslim character who lives in America, you kind of like stereotype it no matter what because 
you see like all like other characters you see what i mean is that you see like many different characters on tv right so like if you see an evil white character you never say that white people are evil but if you if there are only like maybe like two plays by iranians and there are like a couple of really awful characters in them that that has an impact on your psyche yeah so like same thing with african-americans any kind of profiling of a minority. Uh, yeah, exactly. That kind of profiling is really, really hard. But at the same time, I'm not really interested in just like writing for the sake of being politically correct because I think there must be truth in writing. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about it for so long and I decided that I should just write real characters, truth, truthful characters. And in that way, if I write enough characters and if I have enough audience, they can just realize that they are just characters and that they cannot, those characteristics cannot be attributed to a whole race body of people. So yeah, so it's, it's always, it's always not really as easy as, as it sounds, but I try to do my best not to fall into that trap because that's something that I think most minority writers actually, that it's really challenging. Yeah. And it's uh, great that you're so aware of that, that you're mindful of that, because I think that'll lift up your writing and your message to a, a higher place anyway, which will make it that much more real, that much more authentic, that much more truthful. And it'll flesh out the characters that you're working on and make them more three-dimensional, you know? So I think it's great. Yeah, I think, yeah, there was, there is this psychological, um, psychological aspect of mind that you believe something might happen to you if you just keep seeing that happening to other people. Like on TV, for example, like you, you only see the lottery winners and that's why there are so many people who buy lottery tickets. If they could see like all the other people who didn't win the lottery, they would never buy the lottery ticket. <laughs> the, only people, the only person they see is the person who actually won the lottery and that's why they think that the probability is higher in their minds. So if you see like Muslim characters all the time on TV, the way you see them now, or like any other media, that's what you think of them, right? Sure. That's what you, if you see just Muslim characters blowing up other people, that's what you think a Muslim person would do if you meet them. So that is one of my concerns to just have real characters. If you see like Muslim characters who are real, who work, like real, like I think there are three million Muslims in the U.S. If you see that they just like, they have families, they go to work, and sometimes they have boring lives, sometimes they do interesting things, sometimes they just, I don't know, go to the movies or go to the theater or whatever, anything like that. If you see something like that, then it would make you feel that, okay, I can be safe with them. Yeah, well, that makes me think of uh, my next question. You're writing as a, not as a Muslim necessarily, but you're obviously, you can't ignore that experience and you're, you know, we're all framed, we all have a frame of reference for, you know, our family of origin. So you're writing from that perspective because you're here in America. If you were, a, if you did have freedom of speech and you could stay in Iran, whether or not you even wanted to do that, I can't imagine, I mean, I believe that people are really more similar than they are dissimilar, but to sort of, break this down maybe a little bit. If you did have freedom of speech and you could work as an artist in your own hometown, let's say, what would be, how would you characterize a Muslim man, a woman, a child, a family? Um, 
doctors, lawyers. Well, the thing is that the thing is that if I was writing in my hometown, like the Muslim character, we a minority wouldn't be like would I wouldn't be the person introducing this Muslim character mm-hmm. because that's like I, I well the thing is that I've been in a country where I've been the majority. I've been like the Muslim Shia. I mean, I I was a woman and like the whole oppression thing, right? But I was the majority, so I would never think about that. I would never think about just like. This character is a Muslim man, or this character is like a Muslim, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, anything like that. I would just focus on the character itself. I'm just introducing a Muslim character anytime I write a Muslim character. And, and you know what, Marzi, the thing that's so poignant about what you just said—it's like Hamilton. I, 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 I'm sure you felt the same way. I didn't. It didn't dawn on me that the the guy playing George Washington was a. A black man or Puerto Rican mm-hmm. or, or whatever they, you know, the three women, yeah. there was an African American, I think, and a white woman. And I love they the fact, I mean, they were sisters. It's like uh, he wrote from a human perspective. He wrote about, you know, our stories are universal. Our struggle is universal. What we share is as humans is our pain and suffering and how, and the joy too, obviously all the good that comes from that, but we can't escape the pain and the suffering. And so of course it makes sense that you're not, you wouldn't be writing in your own country about a Muslim. You might be writing about a Christian per se and having to introduce a new character and how to describe that and, and writing about it. But you're writing about human experiences and that's the point. And that's what I don't get. And I know sometimes I feel like I oversimplify things or I'm sort of, it's my naivete, you know, but I think our meeting at Hamilton that night is so apropos of this point, which is, it doesn't matter to me that you're Muslim. It it shouldn't matter that I'm Christian. What we share was an experience, and we shared the joy and the laughing and the crying and the delight in art, which art to me is something that elevates life and the experience and elevating that life. And so that's what we got to do. And so I love the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote in from a colorblind perspective, you know, and I guess that's all we can do really is take that with us, you know, take that away is to try not to judge people, you know, because I think that's where, you know, who am I to judge? You know, it's like, I'm no better than anybody and nobody is better than me. It's like, we really are equal when it comes right down to it. Yeah, that's exactly what I decided to do for my own writing. I decided to just like put aside trying to just introduce a character and I, in my writing, I try to write about the experience of that character, no matter what their face is. And yeah, like there are most of them are Iranians and most of them live in Iran. But then it's a little bit hard because I know that my I, my audience will always have it in their mind that, OK, so this is the other. This is like someone that I personally don't know or like I'm not really familiar with their with their culture. But I think the most important thing for me as a writer is to refocus their attention on their humanity and on their Mm -hmm. experiences and on their sufferings and on their joys and on the similarities between those characters. So if I was writing in Iran, I really didn't have to worry about that part because like 
my audience would automatically just think about the character and like you know uh, the experience of that character and their wishes and their wants but the problem here is that like every time I write a Muslim character I know that I'm introducing a Muslim character every time I write about Tehran I know that I'm introducing that to my American audience it's kind of like it's kind of about the responsibility and it feels like what if you do something I don't know. Yeah. And that you could get in trouble or be imprisoned for it, you know, or be (laughs) deported. I mean, you know, but it's a, I can understand that it's a really, it's a, it's a worry and it's a real valid fear. I read uh, Ayad uh, Ayad Khaled's play and it has won many awards and we have this Muslim character, a Muslim man and his wife, who's white American Christian. And there was a scene in it that the husband is under so much pressure that he actually hits the wife. And when you think about it, that like, okay, so yeah, like a Muslim, like, I think it is Pakistani, Pakistani man, of course, is gonna beat his wife, you know? Right. But I thought that was really interesting and that was really brave of the playwright to actually write that because. I think he was challenging the audience that, okay, so I showed you how much pressure this character was under. And are you still thinking about his origin as being a Muslim? And I think that's really interesting. And I think as a playwright, challenges like that are really essential for just like forming uh, the way we think about our community, the wink about people around us. As far as your uh, playwriting and your professional career, where do you, where would you like to see yourself? Do you want to stay? Are you more interested in teaching, or do you want to have your plays on off Broadway or, you know, small theaters? You know, where do you see yourself professionally in five to ten years? Ah, Pulitzer. Pulitzer. That's that's yeah. That would yeah. That's actually interesting because last week I was thinking I'm gonna win Pulitzer, and it was really interesting because that was the first time that thought actually occurred to me and then for some reason I thought that's not really <laughs> a very far-fetched. I think the fact that you've now put that out there that you want to win the, <laughs> the Pulitzer for playwriting I think that you're probably gonna you're probably gonna do that. Uh, thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you. You're being so kind. Well I I do think that you know we're afraid to sort of share that stuff you know I think we have to and then we get accountable because sometimes I have to put it out there because otherwise I have nobody to account, you know, like if somebody doesn't hold me accountable, it's like, I'll just be quiet about it. And and then I get scared. And that's, that's the whole point of this podcast is finding the courage is just sort of be our authentic selves and to aspire to live a life that's, you know, courageous and living without fear. Uh, in the meantime, I want you to work on getting your Pulitzer. So get to work. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like so much distractions, so many distractions all over the place. But yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I will try. Well, you're doing wonderful work and thank you so much for being here today. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thank you. And come visit us in Boston. Uh, We will for sure. All right. Thanks again, Marzi. Thanks everyone for tuning into my podcast, Bite of Courage. To learn more about my guests, you can go to biteofcourage.com or go to my website, humormewithmo.com, where I also post weekly articles about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be daring, be brave, and take a bite of courage.
This is a Trio production, all rights reserved.